You are listening to the Apex Hour, hosted by Ryan Paul on KSUU Thunder 91.1. This show allows more personal time with our guests, allowing them to give us their stories and opinions. We will also give you new music to listen to, hoping you enjoy some new sounds and genres. Welcome to this episode of the Apex Hour. Welcome back to the Apex Hour on KSUU Thunder 91.1. My name is Reese Whitaker, the radio engineer for the Apex Hour. I am joined, as always, by producer Sophie Chavage, associate producer Evan Miller, and of course, our host, Ryan Paul. And let me give you a little information about our guest, Leon Logothetis. Before Mr. Logothetis became a global adventurer, TV host, motivational speaker, and best-selling author, he was living an uninspired and disconnected life as a broker in London. On the outside, it looked like he had it all, but inside, he was chronically depressed. He decided to do something radical about it, give it all up for the life on the road. He embarked on an adventure around the globe, fueled by receiving and giving of kindness. On his journey, he found the essence of humanity and learned about the bounds that connect people worldwide. Through kindness, he discovered that when we start to compare ourselves by our similarities, instead of our differences, we start to create a brighter future. For over a decade, he has traveled to over 100 countries and to every continent. He's documented his experiences through his best-selling books and TV shows. Leon has devoted his life to inspiring the world with his message of kindness and hope. This is best shown through his hit TV show, The Kindness Diaries, now streaming on Discovery+. Plus. He's worked with many well-being brands and companies to ignite a spark of love, adventure, and humanity into their message and expand their global awareness. When he's not making TV shows and writing books, he's traveling around the world, speaking to schools and businesses about the power of kindness, compassion, and empathy. Leon's goal is to always make a positive impact with his work and content. Leon is also the founder of Winston Entertainment, a travel adventure television production company that produces content that highlights the good in humanity. I now turn it over to our host, Ryan Paul, with the first question. So can you just briefly talk about, not about how we got to Cedar City, but just what led you to do what you did? Sure, it's a great question. Well, um, I used to be a, a broker in the city of London. And on the outside, I had everything you could ever want. Uh, but on the inside, I had nothing you would ever want. I was very depressed, a lot of anxiety. Um, and I stumbled across the movie, The Motorcycle Diaries, which is a romanticized version of Che Guevara traveling around South America, relying on kindness. And there was something about that movie that really touched my heart. Um, And to cut a long story short, I ended up quitting my job and I started to travel around the world relying on kindness. Um, And I had a lot of pretty amazing experiences. One of the first journeys I did was I walked, well, hitchhiked from Times Square to the Hollywood sign with $5 a day, relying on kindness. I hitchhiked from the Eiffel Tower to Red Square in Moscow. I went all around England Um, I took a vintage English taxi and uh, gave free cab rides to people from from New York to L.A. And I had these beautiful moments. Um, And then I kind of fell back into my old patterns, uh, spent about seven or eight years in L.A., in Hollywood, and Hollywood isn't renowned for its kindness. Um, And... I had an an epiphany as I was walking down Hollywood Boulevard. I met this homeless chap, and he had a sign that said, kindness is the best medicine. 
and it kind of reinvigorated me a little bit. And uh, I had a, a desire to uh, buy a vintage yellow motorcycle, call it Kindness One, sort of like Air Force One, but a little bit yellower. And I circumnavigated the world relying on kindness. And that's kind of how I got here. And so the, the journey in the motorcycle is the, the premise of Kindness Diary Season 1. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. And then there's a second season of the show where you replace the vehicle type but not the color. Yes. I basically purchased a 50-year-old VW Beetle. And at this time I drove it from Alaska all the way down to Argentina. With the same kind of idea. Exactly the same premise. So the first question I have, one of the questions I have is, why did you decide on that specific type of motorcycle? Well, when I was a kid, I watched the movie Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Do you remember that movie? I do. Okay. I do. So Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, for those of you who don't know it, is a movie about a car that flies, right? Mm -hmm. And it was such a beautiful movie, and I always remembered it with such fondness. And I remember the car... Chitty, chitty, bang, bang, we love you. And I decided that I was going to create a show that had a similar character to it. Of course, it wasn't going to fly, um, but it was going to be a character in the, in the show. And that's really where the idea for creating the bike and then the VW Beetle. The bike was called Kindness 1 and the Beetle was called Kindness 2. And both of those vehicles still exist in your possession? They absolutely do. Kindness 1 is in, is in the garage because it keeps on breaking down. And Kindness 2 is actually right outside my house. Do you drive them still? I don't drive Kindness 1 because she never works. Uh, Kindness 2, um, I do drive from time to time. So this is like you're waiting for the Smithsonian to call? Maybe for, they will one day. One. People will be like, oh my God, did you hear about Kindness 1 or Kindness 2? It would be the same as Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. So I think it's interesting when you talk about it, as, as I've been reading your work and you you explain the the idea of what you're doing and how monetarily it's going to work. So in in the first the in in the first season the motorcycle trip, you have gained a career, you have some funding, and you're going to provide opportunity for kindness for others, right? So it's not like just help me out. There there are. Um, you reward people, some people, for their kindness. Absolutely. Unsuspecting Good Samaritans get a life-changing gift. Right. And then the can you talk about your rules for this trip? Like, how are you going to accept money? What does yeah. this mean? So the rules are very simple. I would have no money, no food, no gas, no place to stay, and I couldn't accept money. And I had to circumnavigate the world. So I, So I couldn't say to you, Oh, here's 25 bucks for a burger. Absolutely not. But you if could, I took you to the burger place, yes, I uh, absolutely, I could do that. yes, exactly. So it's not like I could give you money to fill your tank. I have to go with you yes. and watch you do yes. it or do it yes. myself. Because it was all about the exchange of love, the exchange of generosity, the exchange of the human spirit, as opposed to oh, here's 25 dollars, just just leave me alone. Because otherwise, you're just a panhandler. Yes, exactly. So in this. In this experience, obviously, what is the what is the percentage of rejection to acceptance? Look, if I asked 10 people for help, nine said no. That doesn't mean that there were nine unkind people. You know, maybe four of them were busy. Maybe two of them were scared. Maybe one of them was having a bad day. And maybe the remaining two were mean. Who knows? 
But most people said no. I understand. And once they said no, that was it. Like you didn't like, oh, come on. No, of course. If you say no, it's no. Right. So the in this experiment, is it fair to say? Yeah, social experiment. In this social experiment, did you find people, were there more people who were wanting to be kind, but just for whatever reason, like, hey, I'm a single woman or whatever else, that, that you could understand why they would say that? Of course. I mean, you know, like I said, there were some people that were having bad days. There were some people that didn't feel comfortable. There were some people that felt fear. I understand. I mean, it doesn't make the rejection any easier. Right. But I still understood, of course. But there were times that you got to be fairly desperate. Uh, many times. What's the longest you ever went without eating? Probably 24 hours. Okay. So in this experiment, which you replicate in season two, yes. right, just north to south as opposed to east and west, yes. you end up in, and I think this is an important story, you end up in southern Utah. Yes, right? I did. In Cedar City. And could you kind of explain that story about how you, what what led you to this community during that time? This was in 20... 18. 2018. Sure, absolutely. So I was coming down from Alaska, going towards Mexico, and I kind of went through Utah. Um, and I ended up in Cedar City, and I was on the main street, and no one would help for whatever reason, doesn't matter. And I had this urge to turn right into the residential area, which on the face of it wasn't clever because I'm not about to, you know, just knock on some random person's door and say, oh, hey, can you help me? But I had this urge, this feeling to turn right. So I turned right, kept walking. Then I walked past this house and I, I, I felt into the house and I was like, there's magic in that house. I didn't have any logical reason to know why there would be magic in the house, but I felt there was magic in the house. And bear in mind, again, I don't walk up to random people's houses and knock on their door. And I said to the crew, I said, I'm going to knock on this person's door. And they looked at me like, are you insane? I said, no, I'm not insane. Uh, I found a neighbor and I went to the neighbor and I said, do you know the person who lives in that house? And they said to me, yes, I do. And I said, well, look, can you come with me and knock on the door with me so they don't think I'm a total nut job? Um, and she said, yes. So we go to the guy's house. Well, I knew it was a guy after I'd knocked on his door. I went to the house, knocked on the door, and he comes out, and he looks at me kind of weirdly, and I say to him, you know, I, I'm doing this uh, show where I'm traveling around the world relying on kindness, and I was walking past your house, and I felt that there was so much love in here, and I wanted to knock on, the, on your door. I know it's a bit weird, but I was wondering whether I could stay the night. And he looks at me and he's like, hmm, okay. And he said, yes. And I ended up staying the night in his house with his kids. Um, and the next day I left for Vegas. Or actually the next day I left for, for Mexico um, via Vegas. And the amazing thing about that story is that I'm still friends with him. I'm still friends with his kids. I'm still friends with his wife. And whilst I'm here in Seda City for the, for the past few days, I've been living in his house. <laughs> Right. So it's a beautiful story. Um, and uh, it's a very, very beautiful story. It's one of the best bits of this of the series, to be honest. And it's and, and for those who want to see this play out in real time, it's in season two, episode four. season two, episode four, right. which yeah. also you stop in Beaver as well for a very Beaver. interesting shave. Yeah, I got a shave in Beaver. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, well, you he was an interesting fellow. So there are are are. 
stories like this that that are throughout this, these experiences, right, of people who you just show up and you've talked about how important travel is to to humanity, right, to becoming a better human. But you've also said that one of the things that's guided you is uh, this inner sense or energy that's been with you since you were a kid, would you say? Or when do you think you developed this recognition of how to do what you do? Do you know, I'm not, I'm not sure whether it was with me as a kid. It probably was, but I don't remember. It started to come back, let's say, after I started traveling the world. Because I found myself in situations where I needed to have a sixth sense as to whether I was going to stay safe or not. And I needed to understand people. And uh, that's really why the show is possible. Because I have a sixth sense about understanding people, about understanding energy, of knowing when to go somewhere, when not to go somewhere, when to back off, when to kind of, you know, ask a little bit more. Um, and I think it was really travel that maybe reignited it. Maybe I had it as a kid, but maybe it was squashed. And then as I started to travel and to be free, it kind of started to come back. So is is the next step a yellow boat or submarine and travel the islands of the Pacific? It's a yellow submarine, there for sure. Go. I will be going with uh, Paul McCartney from uh, Liverpool to uh, New York. You might be surprised that how many people would be much more kinder if you were with Paul McCartney. Right? <laughs> they would be much kinder. Yeah. So what we like to do, and we've talked about this, is as we have our, our music breaks, our breaks in, in the show, we ask our guests for songs that, that mean something to them and have them say a few words about them before we play them. So the first break, in, in honor of Kindness 1 and Kindness 2, we are going to play the song that you selected, Yellow, by Coldplay. So wow. can you give us a little bit of a, a thought about why you chose this song? It's just such a beautiful song. It has just got so much poetry, so much beauty, so much simplicity, and uh, it just has a lot of personal meaning to me. Okay. So let's hear Yellow by Coldplay. Oh, 
That was Yellow by Coldplay. You were listening to the Apex Radio Hour here on KSU Thunder 91.1. I'll turn it back to you, Ryan. Thank you, Sophie. We're, uh, we're excited to be here again with Leanne Grothitis, uh, the uh, kindness guy, the courageous guy, the brave guy, I guess, as we could all say. So one of the things that, that I've thought about as I've been reading your book and watching your, your show is how do we, I mean, I'd be very interested in the behind the scenes stuff. Like obviously all of this is being filmed, right? So it's not rehearsed. I mean, you're, what are one, your instructions to the crew Two, do you communicate them with often during filming? Uh, what are their role and what, what's happening sure. there? How big so, is the crew? So the crew have money. They stay in hotels. Um, the crew are not allowed to help me ever um they do not stay where i stay so they go back to hotels they've never stayed where i've stayed um and you know i'll go up to people first without a camera uh, because you can't put a camera in someone's face immediately you've got to explain what's going on and then if they're willing to be filmed i will uh, bring the crew and sometimes they're not willing to be filmed and you know i just i need a place to stay so we just do it anyway, but they don't, they're not filmed. Mm-hmm. So, so even the people that say no, you have said, can we film you? Sometimes we do. When they say no, we ask them, can we film you? Because it would not be a great show if everyone helped me all the time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, most of the times, people don't help me. So, you know, we ask them, 
are you willing to say no on camera? And they're like, uh, yes, or they're like, no. So the, the how, how many people were in the crew? Season one was between four and six. Season two was six. And, and they had their own book-worthy experiences, probably. Well, they absolutely did. You know, I mean, I had the experiences of meeting the people and, and connecting with the people, but they had their own experiences. I mean, you can't circumnavigate the world and not have an experience. So when you, so when you're in season one, you get passage on a cargo ship to Spain, I think it is. New right? York to Barcelona. The, the crew, do they, they're not on that ship too. The cameraman came on the ship. One cameraman. The rest flew. Okay. It's pretty fascinating to think about how all that interacts. Mm. So when you're sleeping at night in the sidecar or on the beach, they're kicking back Mai Tais at the, at the place. Absolutely, but they don't get the, to have the experience of the people. I do. Uh-huh. I get to connect. And then how, how did you facilitate the, the gifts? So, for example, in, in one uh, chapter of the book, the you you're in a woman's home who has HIV right and and she has it in um, Cambodia Cambodia and she's kind of been I don't know if shunned is the right word but the village still yes. is there for her but they don't interact with her yes and she has a young son yes and so no one in the village lets you stay with them except somebody says oh well this person will let you stay yes and uh, and then I think after you hear her story which is very very moving. You make the offer that because their house is like got a holes shack. in it, right? Like a Absolutely. shack, and, and you offer to to build her a new home. How, how does that facilitate it on the back end? Okay, well that's interesting. So, for example, so we met her. I heard her story. The crew and I decided to build her a house. Now you would think, oh, that's going to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars, but it didn't. In in uh, Cambodia, I think it cost like five, six grand to build her a house, right? Um, I will tell her on camera that we're going to build her a house. And then afterwards, she will be put in touch with the producer and the producer will make sure that her house is built. That's and how all the gifts were given. Just the, the back end producer, because you're moving on to the next. Exactly. And, and how did you – were there other gifts given that weren't in the book or the TV show, like other people that you meet no. or were those? So how um, – A few times, yes. How did you decide? What is, the, what is in your mind? Is it in collaboration with the crew or is it you just saying, this is what I want to do? It's in collaboration with the person we're giving the gift to. Like they will give us clues as to uh-huh. what they need without knowing that they're giving us clues. It's in collaboration with me and it's in collaboration with the crew. Okay. I think that's just a fascinating, fascinating idea. I mean, how, how that all works out. One of the things that you write about, and I actually have a part of the book that, that I've, as you can see, I've folded multiple pages down hmm. um, because it reminded me of something. This is right after, I think you're in uh, Ho Chi Minh City and you're outside the opera house, right? And the guy says, come in and you and they ask you to be on stage. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yes, that's right. Um, to play the drums yes is that that it so uh and then you say as i came out to give my bow people stared enthusiastically clapping for me and it hit me more than anything else the most important thing we need is to be seen by others 
It wasn't just the fuel for greatness. It was part of the foundation of survival. I thought back to Sang, and this is the house, the person in the house, alone in her rickety house with no one watching out for her. Perhaps loneliness is the most fatal disease. We all need to feel acknowledged by those around us. We need to be seen, and we also need to be able to see others. Yes. Can you kind of expound on that a little bit? Well, look, I think many of us grew up feeling unseen. And I think many of us, as grown-ups, feel unseen. And the simple way to make someone feel like they have value and that they matter is to see them. And the best way to see someone is simply to be kind. And that's literally it. I've had experiences being seen and I've had experiences of not being seen. Um, Look, ultimately, we need to see ourselves, right? But we cannot live in a world where we are not seen and heard and loved by other people because it's not the full human experience. So it's also, it's not, and then I, it's also about seeing others as well as being seen. Yes, of course, of course. You know, it reminds me, the reason I I remember that is that as you and I have talked over the last couple days, and I've mentioned that, well, and you've seen my office, that I'm kind of a bit of a comic book guy. Mm. And there's an an issue of The Flash. You familiar with The Flash? Yes. From the 1960s. And on the cover is The Flash saying, stop, you've got to buy this issue. My life depends on it. It's the first time ever that, that kind of you had this, breaking the, the fourth wall mm. of the comic book. And the whole, the whole scenario is, is that there's this guy, this villain, who's invented this ray gun that if he shoots you with it, people forget you, mm. right? And, and, his, and, and it's so brilliant. In, in, in the thought, in the bubble, the guy says, and since our value, our impression of ourselves is tied so much in how others think of us, when people forget us, we disappear. Mm. So that was the, the like, I, people forget about you. You just disappear into nothingness mm. because all that's tied in. And so at the beginning of the, of the story, the flash had saved some kitten from a little girl. This guy zaps him with it. The flash is disappearing and people be like, well, it didn't, you know, it doesn't, they couldn't remember him. And he just, as he's at the point of, of disappearing forever, this little girl says, looking at her kitten, wait a minute, didn't somebody help me with this kitten? And like that, the flash comes back. Mm. And reading that section reminds me of this idea, specifically in the world of social media, right? How we sort of focused on likes and how our presence externally matters. We, we care about how many people are watching or listening to us, that we let them, our identity becomes tied in with that. And if we're, we, if we're forgotten by those, then we forget who we are and we forget ourselves. And that's a pretty sad place to be, right? Yeah. Where you need others to validate who you are. And that's why I say that ultimately we need to see ourselves. And also, of course, it's important to be valued, but not necessarily on a massive scale like on social media, but by one person, by two people or by some friends or by a community. And I guess save a kitten. There you go. Then you You won't disappear. It's going to disappear. I I think that... that I'm, I'm wrapping my mind around this idea of, of kindness, but, but it also seems to me 
that you're not just being kind to people. You are not only seeing them, you are hearing and listening to them. Because you said they're giving you clues about these things, but you have to be pretty emotionally astute to pick up on what those clues are. Yes, you do. You have to understand human, human beings. Well, how did you gain that understanding then? Through a lot of pain, through a lot of reading, and through a lot of traveling. That's how. And we're, we're going to move. This is a great way, I think, to transition into our next break. Because if there's one, you've talked about the Motorcycle Diaries before, about how that influenced this journey. But if there's one film that encapsulates this idea of scene, family, individual stories, it's The Godfather. It is indeed right? The Godfather. And one of the and, and when you sent me this list of songs, I thought to myself, this this has to be on there for a variety of reasons. So one of the songs you, you sent us was The Godfather Waltz, which is the main title of the film The Godfather by uh, Nino Rota and Carlos Savina. Can you tell me why you chose this piece of music? So I grew up in a Greek family, a Mediterranean family. And on some levels, apart from the killing, there were similarities in the with The Godfather. And it's one of my favorite movies. So that's why I love it. Great. So let's hear the main theme from The Godfather by Nino Rota and Carlos Savina.
That was The Godfather Waltz by Nina Rota and Carlos Savina. You're listening to the Apex Radio Hour here on KSUU Thunder 91.1. I'll turn it back to you, Ryan. Thank you, Sophie. I am so glad you chose that song. That makes me smile. It really, really does. So the we're, we've been talking today about kindness, and, and your work now has shifted a little bit to to courage and to bravery. And and one of the things that you have produced in your career is this, uh, I don't know what you, what, what would you, what do you call this? A kind, not a, a life changing little journal, go yeah. be kind. And you've got another one coming out soon called go be brave, right? Yes, indeed. So uh, this, this work is called go be kind, a life changing little journal, 28 and a half adventures guaranteed to make you happier. And a few months ago when I knew you were coming, I, I picked this up and, have begun working my way through it. Granted, I read the whole thing. I didn't do all the adventures in order, but I, I did them. And I got to tell you, where did you come up with this idea? So people would always say to me, oh, Leon, it's all right for you to quit your job and buy a yellow motorbike and go around the world and buy a, ye- a yellow beetle and drive from Alaska to Argentina. But I can't do a kindness adventure. And I was like, I got so fed up of hearing that and I said, really? So I created a book where you can go on your own kindness adventure. And that's basically what it is. You have these adventures that if you really want to do them, you can do them and you can go on your own kindness diaries adventure. Yeah, and you're talking to trees, and you're, uh, you're, you're, which is amazing. And you're uh, communicating with people, reaching out. And it really is asking you to look around you and be situationally aware of not just the world you're operating in, but the people in which you're operating with. I would go so far as to say not, it's not about seeing, it's about feeling. And that's why I, I, I give them all these crazy adventures, so that they can feel it. I, I, can I, I want to read a little bit of it, if that's okay. So this is from Adventure uh, 17, You Matter, right? And uh, it talks about uh, recognizing that everyone matters. And it says, every time someone reacts in anger, offer love. Because when we show someone else that they matter, even when they're being mean or rude or having a bad day, we show them that kindness isn't weakness. Uh, kindness gives us strength, but kindness also asks us to be strong. So can you talk about this idea of how kindness really is strength? It's very easy if someone upsets you to be mean. It's very easy if someone, if you're having a bad day to have a rage attack or whatever you want to call it. It's much harder to respond with calmness, with love, with dignity, with grace. Now, am I sitting here telling you that I always respond like that? Absolutely not, because I'm not perfect. But I try my best to do that. And if I respond with anger or rage or a lack of dignity... I will always be upset with myself because that's not who I want to be. Yeah, this, this was just so amazing to me about what we value in the society, right? We, we preserve what we value. We value what we preserve. And, and I think in our world, sometimes we think what, what, what is cool, what is courageous, what is brave is not what we think of as being kind and caring. We see that as something that is is a weakness in many ways. And, and you say this, uh, I, you realize something, it's an epiphany, I would say, 
that uh, being cool is a lot simpler than doing all these amazing things, traveling and, you know, it means being so honest and brave and creative and authentic that you don't need to be anything else but kind. Mm. Like this idea that that people who are truly innately kind are so honest and brave and creative and authentic that they don't need to be anything else. Mm. Right? They're not posturing. They're not living up to the ideal that someone else has told them. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. It's about like sharing your humanity with others. Yeah, and you have this great Muhammad Ali quote. Service to others is the rent you pay for your room here on earth. Ooh, the great Muhammad Ali. And I think about in your journeys, the kind of rent you've paid. Right? I mean, you've, you've paid rent just in a very different way. Yes. I mean, look, the, the version of me that you see in the kindness diaries, you see in Go Be Kind, is the best version of me. Right. Uh, the worst version of me, you probably wouldn't be having me on your radio show right now. Um, so, again, I'll say it again, there's no perfection. I would argue that we would be having you on the radio show. There'd just be a little E next to the, to the maybe, thing. Maybe. So this is, what, this is what changed me. In fact, I read this uh, and I, I asked my wife, I said, you, you've got to hear this. Come here. Because it really made me think. Um, so you, you finish this page with the quote from Muhammad Ali, service to others is the rent you pay for your room here on earth. And then you say, I mean, how cool is that? We all know people who are able to do this. They are kind because they are confident. Confidence creates kindness, creates confidence, creates kindness. Mm. Right? And I just, I keep thinking, going back to this idea that, that, and then you say, maybe we should create fan clubs for people who are kind. Yes, I think we should. Right? But this idea that, that to be, I mean, we think about what, what it means in the world's definition of masculinity to be a man, to be heroic, right? To be brave. Uh, but... But what you're saying is, is that, that the people that are truly kind are the bravest, most courageous, you know, confident people that we know because they're willing to stand up for an ideal that doesn't really exist much anymore. Is that? I would say definitely. I would say you'll probably find a lot of very secure, kind people. That doesn't mean that you can't find some insecure, kind people. You can as well. But... Um, Strength is being kind. It is not a weakness to be kind. And really, I want to define kindness. To me, kindness is simply helping someone feel less alone. That's it. That's literally it. Because whenever you do a kind act that inspires someone or makes someone feel like they matter or they have value, you're simply making them feel less alone. And everyone can relate to that. It's simple. It's not weak to show someone that they are not alone, it's strength. Because we all know, all of us know what it's like to be alone. We all do. At some point. And what's interesting is in, in, the, in the adventure, in this particular adventure about the kindness is cool, you ask us to write and you provide the space to write someone who that person, who you define, who we've defined that way. And, and I did. Um, I wrote somebody down and, and I didn't tell them that I wrote them down, but, 
but it really causes us to evaluate those people in our lives who should be in our lives. And it makes us also evaluate maybe those people in our lives who we should reevaluate how often they come into them. And it's been my experience as I've thought about it more and more that oftentimes many of the people we invite into our lives are the people we feel we should invite because of their political stature or because of what they can do for us or because what we want, we want them to, be, we want us to, them to like us as opposed to maybe thinking about this in a different way. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. So it, it's caused me some, some very interesting introspection as I thought about this. So what can you tell us then about the next, I mean, is go be brave or being brave, is that an evolution of this? Like is it a, yeah. a, like a pyramid, a foundation of kindness, and then we move forward? It is absolutely, because to me, my definition of bravery is speaking your truth. Um, and we live in a society where it's hard to speak our truth, where it's hard to be vulnerable where it's hard to share our pain, where it's hard to stand in our power. And being kind is being vulnerable, right? So it begins from there. Being kind is, in fact, a, a part of being brave. Um, and then, of course, it goes to a wider perspective and being brave in many areas of our lives, speaking our truth. We all have things going on inside us that we don't want to share. And I promise you, if you share them with someone safe, it's the seed that builds the greatest oak tree. You have to water it, you have to keep going, but you speak your truth to someone safe. It's interesting. I've been thinking about this as you've shared this analogy of the oak tree, right? Because if you look at, at tree rings, you can see seasons of lots of moisture and seasons of little moisture, but you see a ring each season. Mm. So when we talk about watering this oak tree, it, it, it sometimes you will water it with abundance mm. and other times maybe just a drop or two. But, but the focus is you've got to keep doing it. Absolutely. And the seed represents the moment of speaking your truth and the watering represents the moment of um, taking action, being courageous, and the actual oak tree represents the magnificent life that you will live if you are brave and courageous. So what do you say to someone who says, I honestly don't know what my truth is? How do you find your truth? It's a very good question. The fact that you don't know your truth and you know you don't know your truth is actually not such a bad place to be because you have an awareness that you want to get somewhere, but you don't know how to get there. So keep sharing it. Journal speak to your friends, keep going there, read books until you get to the place where you understand what your truth is. But you just keep on going, keep journaling, keep speaking, keep watching documentaries, keep watching movies, keep connecting with like-minded people. And at some point, your truth will germinate. And, and by doing that, you'll be in a position to recognize what your truth is. Yes, absolutely. So in, in the... In this, in Go Be Kind, there's a postcard at the end that has you fill out uh, what your kindness, you know, what your next kindness adventure is, and and then you don't put your name on it, right? And you mail it to to you to I'm assuming it's to you or to some 
address that you have access to. And and I think you say for every postcard, you would donate a book yes. to somewhere. Yes. Right? How many did you get back from this? We have given over the past few years 10,000 books. And so in – is the same – is there the same – is there the same – thing in Gobi Brave? Is there going to be a similar postcard? There is no postcard in Gobi Brave. You're just going to have to be brave. There's no accountability. Well, that's not true. You have a bravery buddy. Find yourself a bravery buddy and be accountable to them. I think that the asking people to be kind and asking people to be brave is important. I think the harder ask is asking people to be vulnerable in many ways because that's does that, I mean well yeah but but you can't be kind and not be vulnerable and based on my definition of bravery which is to speak your truth you can't be brave unless you're vulnerable right so that's the issue it's difficult to be vulnerable but if you want to live the greatest life you can live one has to be vulnerable yeah, it's mm-hmm. like I said, it's like the seed. I keep going back to the seed. It needs to be watered. It's very delicate. It's very delicate. And the more you water it, the more time you, you spend with it, the more commitment you make for your life to be as, as magnificent as possible, the more opportunity the seed has to grow into the oak tree. But there are moments where the seed could die. The tree could die if you don't look out for it, if you don't spend time with it if you don't commit to it. So I hear that you're English. Really? I yeah. didn't know that. And I hear that English people are pretty clever. They, right? Some of them are. <laughs> uh, so as we move into our, our, one of our final breaks, I, I'm interested in something you've talked about, about courage bravery the difference and and what bravery and courage combined can lead to sure so i wasn't very good at math when i was a kid but i've come up with an equation it's called the bravery equation and it's pretty simple bravery plus courage equals a magnificent life so think about something that you've always wanted and if bravery is speaking your truth share it with someone Courage is taking action. After you've shared it with someone, take concrete action to make your dream come true. Going back to the seed analogy. The seed is the moment of speaking your truth. You then get to the oak tree, which you can only get to by watering the seed. Right? Mm -hmm. So, um, that's it. So, bravery... Plus courage. So speaking your truth, acting on that truth equals a magnificent Absolutely. If you keep on going. Like you can speak your truth once and do one action and nothing's going to happen. You have to speak your truth over and over again. And you have to take action courageously over and over again. And then you will have a magnificent life. That's pretty much the way I see it. And I think what's brilliant about this is you never define what that magnificent life is. The magnificent life is whatever your magnificent life is. For you, it may be, you know, I don't know, you may be a comic book historian. I don't know. I think you are you are a historian and you love comic books. For me, it may be being something else. Every person has a different way of becoming magnificent, but it's based on truth. 
It's based on vulnerability. It's based on action. And it's based on kindness. And it's based on kindness because kindness is being vulnerable. Well, let's move into our final break with someone who I think has lived a magnificent life, Sir Elton John. Sir Elton John, the legend. And, and you have selected from his vast body of work a song called I'm Still Standing. Can you share with us why you selected this song? That's uh, that's a that's a great question. So, you know, we all go through storms in our lives. Every single one of us. I am not unique. I have been through a storm. And every time I'm, I was in that storm, I would listen to this song. And I would say to myself, I'm still standing. And that's why I love that song. Okay. Because I'm still standing and so are you. Let's listen to I'm Still Standing from Elton John. You can never know what it's like Your blood like winter freezes just like ice And there's a cold and lonely light that shines from you You wind up like the wreck you hide behind that
That was I'm Still Standing by Elton John. Um, I'll turn it back over to you, Ryan. Thanks, Sophie. We're, uh, we're into our final segment here on uh, the Apex Radio Hour. It's one we always enjoy. It's one of my favorites. And this is what we call the joy question. So we'll start with our guest, uh, Leon Logothetis. What are you currently watching, reading, or listening to that is bringing you joy? So I am watching the show called The Offer on um, Paramount Plus about the making of The Godfather. And it's quite incredible. It's really quite incredible. Like some of the the iconic scenes, you see the backstory of what, what happened. It was, it was very beautiful. Um, what am I reading? Um, I'm reading Go Be Brave, believe it or not. Uh, because I just like reading the books, my books, before they come out. So whatever. I'm reading Go Be Brave. And what was the other question? Uh, what are you listening to? I'm listening to I'm Still Standing by Elton John, because I'm still standing. Yeah, so when you read Go Be Brave, do you do the adventures with yourself? I do. I Actually, I did all the adventures. Absolutely. Good for you. All right. Reese Whitaker, what are you currently watching, reading, or listening to that is bringing you joy? So as I was talking about with Evan during the break, last night, SU women's basketball had a crazy ending in the WAC basketball tournament, so our postseason tournament, where one of our stars, Sharita Doherty, shot a three-pointer down by two with two seconds to go and made it from a little farther than the typical three-point line, and she sent us to the semifinals, and it was amazing, and our own Thunder 91 sportscaster, Anthony Colasuno, had an amazing call of the game for our station, and we were listening to it earlier today, and it was just so fun. To relive it through him. Cool. Evan Miller, what are you currently watching, reading, or listening to that is bringing you joy? So I'm going to kind of bounce off the the sports um, with Reese. No pun intended. No. Um, I don't – so I don't know if it's watching, reading, or listening to, but just recently my intramural basketball team went to the championship for the B-League losers bracket. So it was pretty awesome, but we got to play in the AFEC, and um, it was it was a lot of fun playing with that team and get to know those guys a little bit better. So I think listening to those guys and, and getting to know them on a deeper level, because I didn't know any of them before we started, but to play through a championship was actually pretty fun, although we, we did lose, but <laughs> – yeah. Well, losing is only a state of mind, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Sophie Javage, what are you currently watching, reading, or listening to that is bringing you joy? Okay, so this kind of shows my nerd side, but we were at the beach for spring break, and I didn't bring a book because um, I had no room in my backpack, but my friend brought this book, and he's a really big, like, bio nerd. I don't know. It was a weird book. But it has brought me so much joy this week because so it's called The Seven Daughters of Eve and it talks about how so I love learning how people are connected and interconnected and how we all kind of like tie in together and think and act and move alike and stuff like that. And it talks about how everyone can be tied back to like these seven different women in history. And it's just such a fascinating book. And the scientist who wrote it writes it with humor. It's not like a boring science book. And I don't know, that brought me so much joy reading that. I never, ever thought I'd ever say that, but I thoroughly enjoyed that. Seven Daughters of Eve. So yeah, 
Okay, Ryan, what are you currently watching, reading, or listening to that's sparking you joy this week? I just finished on Apple TV season three of a show called For All Mankind. And uh, I had seen season one long ago, and then I just kind of caught up to it. Over spring break, I kind of binged watched season two and season three. And the whole premise of For All Mankind, it's a kind of a retcon of history. So it's written by the guy that did the Battlestar Galactica reboot, Ronald Moore. And the whole idea in the very beginning of season one, episode one, it's the moon landing, July of 69, right? And they show the scene that you all see of the astronaut getting off the lander and the camera coming up by holding the flag, except it's a Russian flag. So the whole premise of this show is the Russians have beat us to the moon and everything that happens after that female astronauts sooner. And so season one, there's a, there's a 10 years, a like 10 year jump between season one, two and three. So season three was, we were going to Mars and it was a race between the Soviets, the Americans and private industry. And it was such an amazingly written show for a history guy like me. So with that, we'd like to thank you for, uh, for listening to the apex radio hour. We'd like to thank our guest for being here. And we're going to go out with one of the last songs you gave us. It is a song called Big Ideas by the Boxer Rebellion. Can you give us a quick word about that? It's a very inspiring song. Uh, I've driven across America many, many times. And uh, often I listen to this song and it uh, inspires me to come up with good ideas. Okay. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This is the Big, big Ideas from the Boxer Rebellion.
Thanks so much for listening to the Apex Hour here on KSUU Thunder 91.1. Come find us every Thursday at 3 p.m. right here on Thunder 91. We would love for you to come to our events on campus. For more information, check out suu.edu apex. Until next time, that was the Apex Hour on Thunder 91.1.